Thank you for joining me for another episode of Speaking of Gothic. This is part two of the episode about Bram Stoker's Dracula from 1992. And if you have not listened to part one, please go back and listen to that one. Although these can, they can kind of be listened to out of order, but it's better if you listen to part one first. So without further ado, here we go. A good portion of the film takes place, the first part of the film takes place with Jonathan Harker trapped inside the castle. And there's... Uh, a part where he during the day when Dracula is sleeping he wanders around he goes down to I believe it's like the probably the bottom level of the of the basement he sees these gypsies and they're packing earth from the castle grounds into boxes there's 50 boxes of earth which are of course for Dracula to have a place to rest because he needs his own soil to sleep in and it's interesting because they never really explain why he needs 50 boxes. And I can't remember if in the book why they say he needs these. But later on, um, I think it's just because if he needs an escape plan, probably. But as I mentioned, the movie's pretty erotic because after Dracula lands in London, after the Demeter drops him off, he seduces Lucy Westerner, uh, who is Mina Harker's best friend. And she's also engaged to Sir Arthur Holmwood. Um, he seduces her and begins to feed on her and eventually turns her into a vampire. This is, again, not a spoiler because you can look at anything and you'll see she's wearing this white dress. I won't say what happens, but uh, those scenes are pretty erotic as well. Which, again, there have been other versions that have kind of dipped their toe into the erotic or central nature of vampires, and I think that is part and parcel of the vampire's appeal, as opposed to like a werewolf that's just going to rip you apart. Because the vampire looks human, but he or she can seduce you, make you want to give yourself to them. So it's very insidious. It's almost like being addicted to drugs, maybe. I don't know. Uh, but you know, it's I get this sense of addiction. And, and there was actually a vampire movie, an indie movie, I think in the 80s, that was called Addiction. And um, you know where they explore these themes, and lots of movies have explored the themes between addiction and uh, vampirism. Probably better than this one, but uh, but I do like the way that they highlight it in this film. I do want to mention something. The other reason that this adaptation differs from most of them is because it includes all the characters from the book. And if you recall, uh, maybe that you recall, but. The characters, there are, let me see who the characters are. Yes. They have, of course, Mina Harker, who I talked about, Jonathan Harker, Abraham Van Helsing, Dr. Seward, Lord Arthur, Lord Arthur Holmwood. But then they also have Quincy Morris. Quincy Morris was in, in the book and in this version, he's a cowboy from Texas. Yeah, it's kind of stereotypical, but he's a great character. And I'd never seen that character included in the film adaptation. Now, I do remember reading some articles about Dracula, and there is another version that includes Quincy Morris, but I don't think they did it to the degree that Coppola did it. So I want to say it's pretty, pretty great. Um, but, you know, let me just talk a little bit. I want to skip back to Dracula's Castle because I was looking at my notes here. Um, there's a... <laughs> I have this thing where... The, the woods are alive as Jonathan is traveling to the castle. 
And there's a part where these wolves are following the carriage and they look ominous and mean. But I have to say something. Um, I'm a huge wolf lover. I love all kind of wolves. And every time I see them portrayed, you know, as these ravenous creatures in film and TV, it just makes me cringe. You know, the visuals are cool, but I'm not a fan of the trope. Now, the, I like werewolves. And werewolves, I'm good to have them... Um, portrayed as savage monsters because they're a mixture of man and beast. You know, they're a hybrid or woman and beast. I'm going to continue talking about the tropes and then I'm going to go on to some other things. Um, as I often mention, you know, there's persons in distress. You know, again, I'm not going to say women in distress because everybody's in distress, but in this one in particular, Lucy Westerner and Mina Harker are the people that are most in distress. But then again, the entire band of vampire hunters Jonathan Harker, Abraham Von Helsing, Dr. Seward, they're all in danger. And the sense of isolation and remoteness, this is highlighted at the beginning of the film where Jonathan Harker, Jonathan Harker, he when he's isolated in Castle Dracula, because it's only him, Dracula, and the three brides. And then there's gypsies, you know, he sees gypsies, but there's really no one else there because the only person that, those are the only people that Jonathan sees and it's also interesting with uh, Dracula himself because he's an old man at first and then he becomes younger and more vigorous now this is accentuated during a later scene when Jonathan is back and he sees Dracula on the street watching them and he's young and Jonathan Harker freaks out and again I think it was this way in the book as well I mean not that exact setting but the fact that Dracula, because he's been feeding, he changes from an old man to a younger man. And later on, at the end of this, I'm going to talk about the different iterations of Dracula. Um, now, of course, um, there are some, you know, there's tension and fear and things like that. But I do want to talk about the psychic connection because this happens in both the book and this adaptation. I do not know if it happens in every adaptation that are out that's out there because I haven't seen every adaptation. I've seen a lot of them, but I haven't seen most of them, and I don't remember there being a psychic connection. But when Lucy is seduced and killed by Dracula, or before that, um, they share a psychic connection because she can feel when Dracula is around, and he can feel her. And then there's a point in time where Mina drinks Dracula's blood. Uh, I don't want to go too far into it again, both in the book and in, in the movie, but they share a psychic and emotional connection. And later, Jonathan and the vampire hunters, they use this link, this psychic connection to track Dracula down. But conversely, Dracula also uses the same psychic connection with Mina to avoid them for a while. So I thought that was fabulous. And of course, because this is a gothic film and it's set in 1897, everybody speaks in a formalized gothic language. You know, it's it's not a modern movie and it's not set in modern times. I, and I absolutely love that. I absolutely love that. Um, there's another f emphasis on this film that I, I want to talk about briefly. The way that Francis Ford Coppola created this film, he worked with his son, Roman Coppola, and they filmed this entire film using practical old-fashioned effects effects that actually were turn-of-the-century effects basically like magic tricks so when you watch this there's no optical effects and you there's no cgi this is pre-cgi because this is before jurassic park etc 
actually maybe the same year Jurassic Park came out, but the it still holds up, and I love that because sometimes you watch a movie, at least me, and I, I'm only speaking for myself, but you watch a movie that has special effects, and, you know, and then you come back to it 10, 20 years, maybe 30 years later, you know, if you're my age, and you say, oh, man, I really like that movie, but mm, the effects just don't hold up, and then it kind of ruins the experience for you. What I found with this movie was that it didn't ruin it because since the effects were from when they made the effects that were from like a hundred years prior using old fashioned, old fashioned puppetry and, you know, front screen projection and, um, matte painting, et cetera, all these different tricks and these illusions that stage magicians, they, they pulled a lot from what stage ma magicians do. You get this effect of that. It feels timeless. So I could watch this film when I'm 80 and I, it still will not feel dated. And, it, and again, also given the fact that the film takes place, you know, it's a period piece. So it takes place in 1897. So that also lends itself. And I think that's where period pieces have something over pieces that are in the modern day. Like if you watch a modern day movie, a modern day with my air quotes movie from the 80s. Well, it looks entirely different from what we might be watching in the 2000s or the 2020s. You know, I mean, it looks, it's just different. You know, there's no cell phone, you know, they dress cell phones, they dress different cars are different. You just, these things stick out. But in this movie, because they did not rely on the prep, you know, on the computer generated effects at the time, it gives it a timeless quality. And I absolutely loved, loved, loved that about this movie. If you can't tell, I love this movie. I want to talk about the middle section of the film. This is where it kind of leans into gothic romance. And as I mentioned before, this element is not in Bram Stoker's novel. But it kind of focuses on the blossoming relationship between Mina and Dracula. And I think the film is stronger for it. I really do. And when the movie switches back to Lucy, Dr. Seward, Quincy Morris, Von Helsing, things kind of kick in high gear. And then the, the horror element comes back but what i love is the fact that it kind of switches back and forth and to me it doesn't lose anything i buy into the gothic romance i also buy into the gothic horror of the piece and i just i, I love it i love it and another element that i want to mention is the transformations that dracula undergoes and obviously gary oldman had to undergo as well but this is the first film, and I want to say probably the only film where Dracula goes through so many more iterations and versions like he did in the novel. And I tried to write these down, so hopefully I got them all right. But there's an old Dracula. There's a young Dracula. There's the Prince Vlad version, because in this adaptation, they pulled his, his uh, origin from uh, Vlad the Impaler, uh, Vlad Tepes, I believe was his name, who was a real life uh, prince who was fighting. He, he was a Christian and he ruled and he fought the Turkish, uh, I think Muslims. And he impaled oh, I don't know, thousands of people as a warning to invaders. And he was so he's a real life figure. And this was not in Stoker's novel, although I wonder if Stoker was he might have been influenced by this legend. So when Mina sees Dracula, this is the version that she sees, and he says he's Prince Vlad, and he talks to her and he charms her. So there's old Dracula, young Dracula, Prince Vlad, 
then he turns into something that it looks like a werewolf, but it's not really a werewolf, but it's man size. Yeah, so I, I just called it hybrid wolf. And then there's like a large vampire bat humanoid version, which is really disgusting, uh, which turns into a bunch of rats. That's also gross. And then he is a mist at some point in time. You know, your traditional, you know, shapeless mist that he goes in and out of doorways and windows, etc. And then at the beginning of the film, actually, he's actually in his Vlad the Impaler uh, persona, which is his human persona before he became a vampire. So I thought it was fascinating that they included all that because I've, I've never seen that in any adaptation before or since. There's a few more things I want to cover. Um, there's a cemetery scene where Van Helsing, Seward, Homewood, and Quincy Morris, they basically do battle with a vampire. And I, it's just beautiful. It's just beautiful. I was watching the behind the scenes. Uh, if you like this movie, I would highly suggest that you buy it on Blu-ray and watch the behind the scenes feature where they do the making of, uh, which was shot you know, probably back then. And then, then uh, there's a little bit of updated quest Q&A with uh, Coppola uh, where, they, where he talks about what, how he filmed it and everything about it. But it was all shot on sound stages, but you just can't tell. I mean, that's why I love it. Going back to what I said about the timelessness of the piece, because it was shot on the sound stage, they could they could uh, control the weather, the elements, and again, there's an artifice to it, but I think it fits the gothic nature of the piece, and I love it. And in this set in particular, it's really wonderful because Coppola said that the the costumes are the sets. So what they did was they built sets that kind of extended out into darkness and they let them dark, which if you know anything about Francis Ford Coppola, he likes that direction where he works with cinematographers that can work with darkness as well as light. So where things are kept in shadow, which I prefer that, honestly, that's, I hate to see things overlit. I was watching a movie recently and I, all I could think of was, oh my gosh, it's supposed to be at night and it looks like there's a 50 watt candle bulb right outside this doorway when it's supposed to be nightfall in the woods. Yeah, it always takes me out of a movie. But in this, I stayed with the illusion. I definitely did. Um, and I want to touch on the eroticism again. There's a part where when Mina, she drinks Dracula's blood. And it's weird because it started out as kind of like a seduction scene. It's almost like I say the love scene. So if this was a romance novel... This would be the love scene of the piece where she willingly gives herself over to Dracula and she, you know, she kind of becomes kind of almost his bride. And that's where that psychic link connection begins. And this kind of reinforces the gothic romance of the piece. So as I said but earlier, this movie does a great job between straddling the line between gothic horror, because there's enough horror for all the horror fans and gothic romance where there's enough romance for the romance fans. So I love it. Honestly, it's the kind of, you know, going back to me talking about writing, if I can manage that where I have the horror and the romance and they perfectly mesh, it's a thing of beauty. And that's what, I, what I'm trying to strive for. All right, to kind of wrap it all up, um, there's a climactic battle which happens back at Castle Dracula where our merry band of vampire hunters have tracked him down through the connection with Mina. 
I won't spoil this for you. You probably know where it's going to go, but I'm not going to spoil it for you. And again, even if you've heard of vampires before or Dracula before, and even if you've seen this movie before, I would suggest rewatch this and kind of just lose yourself in these elements. And then if you want to think about what I'm talking about here, that's even better. And kind of like let all these things wash over you because even though I've seen it tons of times, again, I've seen this movie. uh, Okay. Here's a side note. When this movie came out at the theater, old man that I am, I worked part-time at the theater because I'd started as an usher a long time ago working for this movie chain here in town. And I went back to that chain. I got out of the military and I said, you know what? I I wanted a part-time job. I really just wanted free tickets to the movies. Let's be honest. That's what I wanted. So, and I'd done projection work before. So I, I was a projectionist for probably about six months and I watched this movie in 70 millimeter. Now for you young kids out there, if you've never seen a movie in 70 millimeter, it is fantastic. The only recent movie that I know of that came out in 70 millimeter was uh, by Quentin Tarantino, The Hateful Eight. I didn't particularly like that movie, but my wife and I saw it at the theater, and I sat. We sat up in the back, and this is something interesting about me. I know maybe something quirky, but I never sit in the middle of a movie theater. I'm that guy. I have to sit on the end because I hate people all around me. But in this one, I sat directly under where they projected it the very back row so i could hear the turning of the gears in the projector because they had to bring a special projector in because it was 70 millimeter i could hear the gears i could hear the film flip flicking through it and that sound brought me comfort and if you are probably my age or maybe just a little bit younger and you're you remember when movies were filmed on film and if you've ever been to a movie theater that sound, if you if you were ever close to the projection booth, you could probably hear that sound. And for me, it just took me back. But it was wonderful. But it was a fantastic presentation. Okay, talking about uh, Tarantino's film. I didn't like the movie, but it was beautiful. So I saw Dracula at the theater. Actually, I showed it, and I had to wind up all the film, etc. But it was fantastic. So if they ever have this screening somewhere and they show it in 70 millimeter and you're able to go to it, I would highly suggest you go to it. Don't do the whole Fandango thing because we saw the thing in the theater and it was not a good experience because they didn't project it the way it should have been. But, you know, I digress there. But this movie is beautiful. It's gothic. A beautiful blend of gothic horror, gothic romance. If you are a gothic movie fan and you love these kinds of movies older ones newer ones do yourself a favor and watch bram stoker's dracula from 1992 because it's a masterpiece it still holds up now and i think it'll hold up it's going to stand the test of time there are a lot of films out there that don't stand the test of time that are forgotten you know but this one will stand the test of time and it is a testament to the screenwriting genius of james v hart and the masterful direction by Francis Ford Coppola. So I'm going to leave that right there. Love this movie. All right, fellow Gothics, that's it for today. Thank you again for listening to another episode of Speaking of Gothic. If you like the show and the direction, again, you know, it's a, it's an iteration. It's a work in progress. Uh, please leave a review wherever you listen to your podcast. And if you like Gothic horror... I have just written a series of novels. Uh, actually, this is Gothic Romance. It's called Reanimated Love, book one. Book two just dropped. And so if you like the Gothic, if you like romance, please check it out. It's on Amazon. 
and there should be a link in the description but come back for more and i'm not sure what the next episode will be but it'll be interesting that's for sure so as always fellow gothics take care of yourselves and be kind to one another bye-bye